and grab out your Bible and something to take some notes with. I am excited about this morning. We are in week three of our series called Others. Uh, We started in week one with our At The Movies preview. And so I had the opportunity to kind of share with you guys uh, the heart of rescuing others. And we kind of focus especially on foster care and adoption and some of the opportunities we have as a church uh, just to really pour into that area of ministry. Uh, Last week, Kirby brought the fire. Come on, somebody. And learning how to serve others and how that looks in our lives, what it means to be a servant. How if you want to be greatest in the kingdom of God, you learn to be a servant. You follow Christ's example. And so if you didn't take notes last week, I would encourage you, download the podcast and listen again. Turn, take some. I took like four pages of notes. Just an incredible message. How entering the kingdom is free. How the way up in the kingdom is free. But up is down, and most people don't want to walk that path. It was an incredible Sunday. You can check it out in the app or online uh, last week for week number two. Today, I want to kind of step back a little bit. And give you kind of the heart, not only behind the series. And so this is the heart behind why we serve others, why we rescue others, why it's our calling to reach others. And if we are going to do that, it's also the heartbeat of our church. And that is we're going to learn a little bit together about what it means to love others. Because if we're going to serve them, if we're going to reach them, if we're going to rescue them, if we're going to do all these things as followers of Christ, we have to actually love people. And that's a tricky, elusive thing uh, in the body of Christ. I think it's an elusive thing in Christianity in general. Uh, Because one of my favorite quotes is from the comic strip Peanuts, you know, Snoopy and Charlie Brown. And in it, one of my favorite strips of that one is when Lucy is accusing her brother Linus of hating mankind. She says, you know what your problem is? You hate mankind. And he's like righteously offended. And he says, mankind, I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. And I think sometimes as Christians, we have this mentality. We love to serve. We love to reach. We love all those things, but we hate people. And I think sometimes if we're honest with ourselves, what should be the bedrock for all the things that we do should be a love for people. That we should see them maybe in a different light. So I want to talk to you a little bit about that. And to do it, I want to use a story that you know very well. Because I think we can learn, if we've already know the story, we already think we understand the mechanics of it. I think we can learn an important truth today about what it means to love others. So we're going to go to Luke chapter 10. If you've got your Bible, open to Luke chapter 10. It's a famous story about a person who actually loves another person in need. It's called the Good Samaritan. Jesus tells this story. And Jesus is actually wrapped up in this conversation uh, with religious leaders and attorneys and other scholars and leaders of the day about what it means to be a neighbor and what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. So he's kind of defining that during this day. And so as we look at the story, you'll find there are several different responses. And by the end of the story, Jesus asked them to evaluate the responses, to evaluate how these people treated the traveler that he's talking about and to tell him who the neighbor actually was. And so when we look at these, I want you to see the different responses. And I have this thought for you before we jump into the story. And watch this. That is how we respond to the people around us reveals the condition of our soul. That the way we respond to the people. So if you're a person like, I'm just trying to gauge how I'm doing in life spiritually. I'm just, if you're in that kind of place, like, I just want to know. Like, somebody give me a measuring stick. I want to know, am I growing in my faith? Am I following Jesus? Am I becoming more like him? If you're trying to gauge yourself, honestly, if you could just look with an honest opinion in the way that you treat the people in your world. That you treat the people around you, the people God has sent to your sphere of influence, your occupation. And so how we respond to the people around us reveals the condition of our soul. And as we examine the story, I think you're going to see a few different responses. And I want to go through all three of them because I think we find ourselves in all three at different points in our life. 
We find ourselves responding these ways to people. All right, let's jump into verse 30, chapter 10. Jesus is telling the story, and he says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And so we'll just kind of pause. I know you've heard this story a million times, a lot of you. Some of you maybe have never heard it. But when you see this phrase, he was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, I'll give you a couple of puzzle pieces to kind of fit into the story today. Number one, going down, this is not like going down south, all right? Jericho's to the northeast of Jerusalem. And so going down meant going down in elevation. Because if you understand the geography of the place, Jerusalem is a high city in terms of elevation to sea level. Jericho is the lowest city in the world in terms of sea level elevation. And so you would be dropping about 3,000 feet over about 18 miles going down. So if you took your bike, you could coast all the way to Jericho. And so they would go down. Whenever they talk about it, they talk about going down, down. And so this would have been a path that they would know about, a very well-known path that they're going down on. But they would also know the next part of it that Jesus is incurring, and that is the danger of the path. And so this path, 18, 20 miles, has a lot of narrow spots they would have to walk through. And so a lot of places for people to hide, a lot of places for people to be ambushed, and so they were. They actually called it the way of blood because of stains on the cave walls of people who had been killed on this path so many times by robbers. So Jesus, the conversation he's having with people, they would have understood the path that they're taking going down. They would have understood the danger of the path. It would have resonated with his audience that he was talking to. So in my holy imagination, once upon a time, a man from Baton Rouge, come on somebody, was walking, decided to tape $100 bills to himself, blindfold his eyes and walk down Bourbon Street. Come on somebody, like just, it would have connected with them. And so as we all can just imagine, we can understand when he was attacked by robbers. So they understand this is just a common, this is what would have happened. He's asking for it. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him dead. And so this guy is like, this guy is, is laying on the side of the road. He's beaten, he's blue, he's half dead. He's, he's had all these things happen to him. He's in this worst condition he has. And so Jesus has set up this story. And now he gives you the responses of people to this guy. First group of people, first perspective were the robbers. I think sometimes we jump to the next guys who walk past him. But the first, first people that see this guy are the robbers. And so the first perspective of anybody in this story towards this man, of anybody we should evaluate as being a neighbor to this man is the perspective of the robbers. And they see him not as a neighbor, but they see him as a victim to exploit. They see him as a victim. They, they see him as somebody easy to get. And so I would just submit to you that this is the first perspective we have to deal with of people that oftentimes we have. Now, I would also humbly submit to you that I don't think any of us here today look at people and like, I think I could beat them up and take their lunch money. I think we are past that. I don't think that's the mentality that we have. But I think so often it is easy for us to look at people's gifts and connections and relationships and abilities and possessions and things and think I can get something from them. When we interact with people, I think so often we see with our eyes a victim to exploit. And we may not say it with our mouth, but we show it by our actions. That we think if I could just use their connections, if I could just work or network this relationship, if I could just use this person, it would help me in my life to get further. If I could somehow just use the relay, and we see people through this lens that it's a person I can take advantage of, a victim, and they may be oblivious to it, but I can use them to make myself greater. And honestly, I think this is one of the biggest reasons people burn out on religion so quickly. Because this has been the calling card for religion for so many years. If we can just get enough people together, you will do and make us great and do the vision and the thing that we have for you to do. And people burn out on that so quickly. Because it's religion's perspective. If we can just gather you together, you can make us look great. And that is the opposite of Jesus' plan for Christianity. 
Jesus didn't come to collect all of the high caliber, rich and possessed. He didn't come to collect all of the people that could somehow make him great. Jesus is great all by himself. All right, everybody, you understand that? And the fact that he takes broken people and he puts them back together is the reason we do church the way that we do. It's the reason that I'm not up here every week saying, you know, I need all of you guys to do this one specific ministry. And if you don't do it, you are a horrible Christian. Or I need you all over here and you can't be over there. No, that's not, that's not the heart of the church. You are not a, a pawn to be manipulated so you can somehow do my vision and my success and somehow make me look great. No, everybody, what victory is here is to serve you. That we could value and just to see and to see what God has put in your heart. To see the mission and the purpose and the dream God has given you. And so it is my greatest joy in life if I can help somebody find what God has created you to do. And if there's some way we can come behind you and help you do it. So many of our serve day opportunities were people in the church who said, I have a heart for this. So many of our mission opportunities where we reach around the world is because somebody in the church said, I have a heart for this. And the church is here that we would be able to do these things. God has given each one of us giftings and talents and abilities. And far be it from us to try to cookie cutter somebody and try to say, well, this is what you need or you're a terrible. No, we are called, each one of us, each one of us gifted, each one of us talented, each one of us called to reach for the kingdom of God. That's who we are. But so oftentimes it's so easy to slip into that mindset to see people as someone we can exploit for our own gain, to see people as something. And so we are called Honestly, we are called to love people, to not see them as a victim to exploit. That's the first perspective. All right, then he goes on in verse 31, and he says, A priest happened to be walking down the same road. So he just happened to be there. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side, did the same thing. So the Levite and the priest, they represent for us a couple of religious perspectives. So they would have been the Christians of the day, the rule followers, the law followers, if you will. And so they come across this guy and they walk around him. And it's interesting to me that honestly, the people you think would be the first to respond are the ones who avoid him altogether. Because when they look at this man bruised and bleeding on the side of the road, they don't necessarily see a victim to exploit, right? He was already robbed. Come on, somebody just already. That'll preach all by itself. All right. That'll just go. But they didn't necessarily see a victim to exploit, but they saw a problem that they needed to avoid. They see, they saw a problem they needed to walk around. The priest is the spiritualized character because in their profession, in order to do what he needed to do at the temple, he would have been disqualified if he touched anyone that was unclean with an open wound. And so obviously this guy is half dead. He's beaten. He's bleeding all over the place. He has an open wound. And so the priest would have been disqualified. The Levite as well. So all priests were Levites. Not all Levites were priests. All right. I'll just kind of confuse you this morning because the Levites were a family. They were in charge of taking care of the temple. And then the priest would have been that small subsection that would have gone into the presence of God. But both of them would be disqualified if they were unclean. And so both of them had a reason to avoid this man. Could have spiritualized it, right? I can't do what God has called me to do if I help this person bleeding. I can't do what I do at the temple if I stop and help this man. And so it's very easy to spiritualize. Too easy for us these days to spiritualize as well. To say, oh, all of us have that person that you can look at and say, well, I know they're hurting and I know they're in a broken place, but I can't associate with them because what would it make my reputation in the church look like? What would they say about me? They're not going to let me serve. They won't let me lead in the if I'm found wrapped up in their problem over here. And so we see it as a problem to avoid. And we see people that we're supposed to love as a problem to avoid. And we say, look at the sin in their life. Look how messy and messed up. 
there's no way I could get connected. There's no way I should mess around with and no way I should even be seen with them. Or it might mess up what God has called me to do. And we spiritualize it and we see them as a problem to avoid. Too often times we have the wrong view of people. I want to remind you that Jesus destroyed his reputation because of the people that he associated with. Didn't care at all what people thought about him. They said he was a friend of tax collectors and a drunkard and a friend of sinners. And they meant it in the worst possible way. This wasn't like, you know, just kind of playing around with whatever. They meant this in the worst possible way. And Jesus didn't care at all about it. That he leaned in relationally, the people he disagreed with theologically in order to reach them. And I think sometimes we have lost any kind of semblance of love for people because we have a spiritualized view of it. That we can't get all messed up in their, in their mess. If we see people, we think, I just don't want to get wrapped up in that. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I think it's quiet in this church because it hurts. Come on, somebody. Like, you know what I'm talking about. Like, you might have somebody like a coworker that you had one time who was walking through something, or maybe somebody who used to go to small group with you and they just got all wrapped up in something, got broken, and you know they're in a hurting place. And you know, and maybe maybe they're just a little bit of a talker. Come on, they're just a little long-winded. And you know this, and so you're out getting your groceries at Oak Point or Walmart or wherever it is, and you see them, and for a split moment, you realize, come on, that you see them, but they have not yet seen you. Come on, somebody, you have... You have that moment, and how many of us you think, whoop, like I'm just gonna, I just gotta, I know they're hurting, I know they're in a bad, but I just gotta get, I gotta get my stuff done, I don't have time today to do, I just gotta go. And so you're trying to like push your kids out the door, and your kid maybe is like, hey mom, there's Mary from small group. You're like, shut up or die, kid, we're getting, we're getting to our, hey, come on, don't be so holy in church today. And we see them as a problem to avoid, because I can't get all, whoo, I can't get wrapped up in that. I can't get, I can't have them unloading to me today. I just don't have the time for that problem to avoid. I think the Lord is convicting me as he probably is all of you about this perspective of people. That he's really called us to make an actual difference in people's lives. And so then along comes the third perspective, the Samaritan. And as he traveled, he came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now, we're back to the beginning of this verse, the Samaritan, because Jesus is confronting all kinds of stereotypes and and deep-seated hatred in this conversation he's having with people. Because really, if Jesus was wanting to connect with his people, this story would have been about the robbers, the Levites, the priests, and the Jewish man. Come on, because he was talking to Jewish people. And so if he wanted to connect with them, that's what it should have been, because the Samaritans were not discussed. They weren't talked about. They were hated in this society. If they were talked about, they were spit about. And so this idea that Jesus would now make the hero of the story a Samaritan. Because if you remember, the Samaritans were actually Jewish people also. They're from the line of Israel, but they decided to marry into pagan cultures like God had forbidden them to do. And so the Jewish people hated them for that. And then they showcased why God told them not to do it. Because they would bring all kinds of idolatry into worship. And so they would worship Yahweh, the one true God, but they'd bring idols and other things into the worship, built a temple that God did not bless outside of Jerusalem. And they would say, we can worship here. So all of these problems. And so there was this rift between them. And you read in the Old Testament as well, this rift that would happen between Samaria and then the troop that held Judah and Jerusalem and the kingdom of Israel. There would be war and there was a bloody history between these two. There was this bloody history. And so when Jesus says, and now a Samaritan arrives... It would probably have been like, oh, man, you're going to make a Samaritan the hero of this story. Like, why? Why he has to be why he can be in the story? Why does he have to be the hero? And then Jesus is like, here he comes, a Samaritan riding on a donkey. He's coming to save the day. And they would be like the worst of the worst. And so a Baton Rouge man lying in the ditch, bleeding. And suddenly 
an Alabama fan arrives on a donkey to save the day. Come on, somebody. He's out of the mist. He appears to save the day. Now take what you feel and multiply it by a thousand. That's what these people are hearing from Jesus that day. This hatred that they have, this, this mentality, no way this could be the hero in Jesus' life. And here he comes. Here he comes. The Samaritan arrives. He's going to save the day. And he sees this man how I believe God sees this man. Not as a victim to exploit, not as a problem to avoid, but as a person to be loved. And honestly, we don't have this perspective. And we can serve and we can sing and we can do all these things. But until we have this perspective of people, that they are people to be loved, not a problem to avoid. This is actually a person. And we would say in today's culture, this is a person for whom Jesus died. This is a person for whom he died. And I'm telling you, this is the perspective God wants us to have for people. And I think God has called us to be like the Good Samaritan. What would it look like for us to be that? So a couple of things out of the text I just have for you today before we close. A couple of things that it would look like for us to be the Good Samaritan. The first thing is right out of this verse in verse 33. It says, as he traveled, he came where the man was. And when he saw him. So first thing, jot it down if you're taking notes, is we have to be perceptive. We have to be perceptive of the need that's right in front of us. If we want to be a neighbor like Jesus is teaching us to, we want to actually love people the way we're supposed to. We have to see the need. And not just see it, we have to be perceptive about the need. Because listen to me, the, the Pharisees saw this guy, all right? He obviously saw him. The Levites saw this guy. You better believe the robbers saw this guy coming. They saw him, but they saw him in all these different lenses and perspectives that were the wrong way. If we see them, we have to be perceptive as a person that needs to be loved. The people we come across, and if you don't see it, if we don't do anything about it, the question would be then, why don't we see the pain of people? Why, why don't we see the pain that people are walking through? Why aren't we perceptive in our lives? Why aren't we open to them? I'm telling you, there is one simple reason. In 1973 at Princeton, they figured it out. They figured out why we're not perceptive to people's pain, why we're not perceptive to their problem. And so they ran this experiment at the Princeton Theological Seminary. They ran an experiment on 67 ministry studying young people. And they called them all in, all 67 of them, and they told them that they needed to fill out a questionnaire and then they needed to leave the building they were in and head to a second building across the campus. And when they arrived, they would give a speech, a sermon on the Good Samaritan. And so the students thought this was the test, but it wasn't. It was a setup, everybody. Come on. Because halfway between the two buildings in a little alley they had to pass through to get there, they had a man planted to act out the story of the Good Samaritan. So he's rolling around on the ground, coughing, crying, asking for help. And these 67 students on their way to give a speech about the Good Samaritan would have to step over this guy in order to get there. And so then they thought we'd make it even a little funnier. Come on, somebody. I love, love studies that make things funnier. They told the first third, they told them that you are already late to give the speech, so you better get over there as quickly as you can. They told the second third that you're right on time. You don't have any time to spare, but if you head over now, you can still make it right on schedule. And they told the last third, you have plenty of time. You can get there whenever you need, but why don't you go ahead and just head on over? So it's fascinating to me, the statistics of these theological students going to give a speech on the Good Samaritan. How many of them stopped? How many of them stopped to help? Now, the ones that weren't in a hurry at all, only 63% stopped. 63%. Now, that is not great. I wish that was 100%. They have all the time in the world. 
And they, 60, but at least it's more, it's the majority, right? At least 63% of them, Lord help them, right? They, they stop for that thing. Of those they told that they were right on time, 45% of them stopped to help the man. It means 55% of them stepped over this man who was crying for help on their way to give a sermon about Luke chapter 10. And then the last group, the ones that were walking, here's the tragedy. For those that were in a hurry, only 10% stopped and asked what they could do to help. 10%. And I would submit to you, and I don't care if I'm the last one on this soapbox, the last one beating this dead horse, the reason we don't love people. Probably the greatest reason in our lives that we don't spend time caring and loving for people is we are in a hurry. We have amped up our lives. We are so overscheduled. We are running too fast. We have no margin. And I'm not preaching to you today. I'm preaching to myself and you get to listen. All right, everybody? Because we have oversaturated our lives to the point where people have no place in it. Where we are trying to accomplish the things on our checklist and there is no room to love others. And too many times we are in the hurry of what we need to accomplish and focused on. Here's the principle. Jot it down if you're taking notes. Hurry is the enemy of love. It is the enemy of love. When you are in a hurry, you do not have the capacity to share God's love with other people. When you are rushed and hurried all of the time. One of my favorite things to do in the world uh, is sell things on Facebook Marketplace. I love it. I don't know why. Some of you probably dread it. You hate it. You just throw stuff away just to get rid of it, right? You just don't even want to talk to people. But I love it. I love the different personalities I get to meet. I love the different people haggling and doing It's just fun for me. It's something fun I like to do. And honestly, I get an opportunity a lot more than normal because around here at the church, we, when we clean out a space, we'll sell a lot of the stuff that's in there. We don't believe in kind of keep all a bunch of junk. Or we're trying not to believe in that, all right? Everybody, we're working towards it. But when we clean out this stuff, we just try to sell it all. And so a couple of years ago, before and at the movies, we were cleaning out uh, to build some of the props. And so we cleaned out a space at the front of the church that had been there since like Noah's day, right? It just, all this stuff had been in there. And so we cleaned it all out, put it all on the front lawn of the church, and we're just going to sell it all. So I listed it all for sale and met people just constantly all throughout that day to sell it. So I got home and I I loved all the people I had met. So I was telling my wife, Alyssa, about all of these people. And I was like eight to 10, like people that had come and bought stuff and all these different families in their cars and all this different stuff. And she said, that's really neat. How many did you invite to at the movies? And my head was in the fridge at the time. I was looking for something. And I remember I was like, how many did I what? And she said, yeah, how many did you get to invite to church? Now, listen to me. I don't mind confessing to you people, all right? That's just whatever. I think, I think confession is good for the soul, terrible for the reputation, but I think it's great for the soul. I think it's really important. You ever had your spouse convict you? Like the voice of the Holy Spirit just in your house, living there with you. You ever had that just in your, nobody, just me? Because it wasn't like I could be like, oh, like half of them I invited. Not a person I invited. And I'm the pastor. Come on, somebody. I'm... And I had, to, I, I had this moment of just like, and that Sunday I told all of you, hey, go invite people to at the movies. And then I went and met all of these people. And I didn't invite any of them. Now, to my credit, since that day, since that day, if you buy anything from, I don't care if you buy it or not, you are getting invited to church. All right, everybody, that has been my... I have learned my lesson. I, I, in fact, sometimes I will give you the item for free if you will just come to church. I will just, we'll just make that. I don't know if that's spiritual or not. We'll make that transaction. But not a person that I had invited. But we get so busy, we rush past the people in our lives, never caring that they were a person to love. Never caring that they are somebody, even with my kids. You know, my kids will fight all the time. And they'll come up to me and try to, like, have me settle this, right? And if you've ever been in a hurry when your kids come up to you, because I got a couple of my kids... 
And you just, I never tell long stories. We'll just tell a story. Well, I got a couple of mine that when they come to me, they will, they will explain. They have to give eight hours of backstory on what has occurred, right? They got to tell you every personality, everything that happened, every choice that led to this doomsday, right? They have to, you know, and it's fairly entertaining when you have the time. It's kind of fun to listen to and hear all the different points. But when I am in a hurry, when I don't have the time, it is like, are you breathing? Are you bleeding? Because I don't care about this, all right? Because like, are you, are you on death's door? Because I'm going to flip a coin and blame one of you. That is what is going to happen. And so if that's what you want, continue your story. Because that's what's about to happen in this place. And we rush past the people in our lives because we are in a hurry. We can't make a decision. We can't even focus on a situation because we have amped up our lives to 11. And we don't even see the people God has sent us. And I think sometimes it's so easy to slip into that mentality. And we need to slow down, myself included. I think it's fascinating how we as a church, myself included, pray, Lord, send us people that we can impact. Send us people to reach. Send us people so we can make a difference and have revival. Send us people, Lord, that we can, we can love them. Send them to us, Lord. And I think God's response to us comes right out of John chapter 4. Watch this in verse 35. He says, a saying, four months to the harvest, I tell you. I think when we say this, God, send us people. I, I think God's response is, open your eyes. You want me to send you? Open your eyes because they're there. The harvest is ripe for feel. He says, open your eyes. If you, he said, Lord, send me somebody to change their life. Lord, send me somebody that I could reach. And God's saying, open your eyes. And we open our eyes and we see all those people that we pass by. And we're like, Lord, not them. Send me somebody else. Send me different people. I want to reach other people, Lord. I want to reach the unknown. I love mankind. I hate humanity. I think sometimes... In our hurry, we rush past people. And we say, God, send us people. And God is saying, you just ran past them. Like it was that person at Walmart checking you out, trying to share their life with you, taking forever to check out your stuff. And you were just like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, uh uh-huh, okay, bye. And God's like, and now I tried to send you, and now i got to send somebody else to reach them. And we run right past the people in our lives. And we got to open our eyes and realize there are hurting people everywhere. I would wager every single one of us, today included, every single day will walk past people who are hurting. People that we are called to reach. And sometimes we will run right past them. Once again, it goes back to being perceptive. Back to our text, it says he saw him and then he took pity on him. And so it's not just enough that we see, we're perceptive of what's actually happening to them. And then it says it breaks his heart. That his heart goes out to this guy. He sees the need and then he has pity. When was the last time your heart broke for somebody else? Not the last time you stayed up late thinking about that, you know, $50 more you could have made on a deal. Not the time, you know, you thought you woke up thinking the perfect tweet that you could tweet out to make yourself look better. Not the last time that you just, you know, you stayed up late trying to think about the opportunity that you missed. When's the last time that your heart actually broke for somebody That your heart actually broke on behalf of a people group or a person who was in need. I think sometimes we go through seasons of life where we close our eyes. And it shouldn't be that way, but I think it's so easy for us to grow callous to the pain in the world around us. That we've seen it all before and so it's just normal. We come across hurt people all the time. And I think we have to be sensitive to these people's lives. Not just perceptive, but sensitive. Lord, help me to see. Lord, open my heart to see. Help me to see the problems in my world. And then that's not even enough. Verse 34, watch this. And then kneeling beside him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with medicine and bandaged them. So once we have the right perspective, we see the need. Once we have the pity and our hearts are open, then we have to actually do something about it. 
have to be responsive. Not just perceptive, not just sensitive. We've got to respond to the need. The need God has put right in our path. We have to take a step to make a difference in their life. And I think so easy, it's so easy sometimes for us to be responsive and to be aware in our thoughts and to be aware in the words that we say, but to be apathetic in our actions. Because we see it and we care about it. And I think that's the first step. And our hearts will break about it. And I think that's the next important step. But then we will say things like, the church ought to do something about that. Somebody, somebody ought to do something about that. Somebody ought to do something. And when we say that, we mean not us, right? Come on, we'll just be honest with each other. When we say things like that, we mean somebody ought to do it, but not us. I love sports metaphors, so you're just going to have to live with me this morning, all right? It's like if I see Florida's 400-pound linemen, their defensive line, break through the line about to sack the quarterback, I am screaming, somebody ought to block him. But not in a thousand years do I mean me. And so it's so easy for us to be passionate from the sideline. It is very easy for us. That man moving at 20 miles an hour, 400 pounds of force, not I, Lord, but somebody else. I think we all agree we ought to witness to people. We ought to reach people for the kingdom. We ought to help people when they are broken and downtrodden. We ought to reach the homeless. We ought to lift people out of the dirt that they're in. We ought to be able to love others. We've got to reach and care for children. We've got to do these things and to build the kingdom. But we say, there they are, Lord. Send someone. Somebody ought to do something about that. Somebody ought to do something. Because we believe somebody ought to witness. Somebody ought to reach. Somebody ought to detox that person. Somebody ought to get them into rehab. Somebody ought to care for them. Somebody's got to love. But none of us want to give up a vacation day to do it. We're not going to give up a day at the lake in order to... And I'm not trying to be condemning here. I told you, I'm preaching to myself. You guys can listen in if you'd like. I think too often times we have that mentality of my heart is broken for it. Somebody ought to do something. And I'm just saying that God will orchestrate these interventions. And the fact that you see it and the fact that your heart is broken for it is probably an indicator that you need to respond to it. The fact that you see it, because I think, and it's just my belief about the church, that all of us see different things. All of us are called in different ways. If you've ever had a conversation with somebody and thought, why are they not responding to this need the way that I am explaining it? Like, I, I see this need, I see this care, and I'm talking to you, but you're not having the same level of care about this people group or this problem. It's probably an indicator that you're the one to respond to it. Because the Lord has created each one of us in different areas, different spheres of influence, different ways that we can respond, but he has created all of us to love people, to reach others. And so when you look at our city today, or you look at our area, or you look at our world, some of you may be broken over the culture shift that has happened. Some of you, it might be that you are broken for those that are very, very poor, or those who are struggling to make ends meet. Some of you, you are, you are just, your heart is broken for children who have been taken advantage of, or some of you are broken for marriages that they're on the rocks or they're trying to take and put back together. Some of you have a different thing. Some of you are, your heart is broken for those who have walked through drug addiction, or you walk through all these things. Our heart breaks for each thing, and the fact that your heart breaks for it is an indicator that you should respond. And we are all called to make a difference. Instead of thinking it's somebody else's job, we need to listen to the words of Proverbs. Watch this in Proverbs 27. It says, don't withhold the good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. If you can help your neighbor now, don't say, come back tomorrow and then I'll help you. Somebody said, tear that out of the Bible. We don't need that verse in there. And I love this verse because you know why? Because most people will read this and you might have this response. Aha! 
It says to those who deserve it. Pastor, you don't know my coworker. You don't know that bum I pass on the side of the street. You don't know that person who's been making my life misery. You don't know that person. You don't know. You know I know they don't deserve. What do they actually deserve? You want in the words of Jesus. Because Jesus looks at him and he says, you have heard it said. You have heard it said. If they're not your neighbor, then you're off the hook. You've heard it said, if they're not your neighbor, you're off the hook. If they're your enemy, you get to hate them. If they're your neighbor, you can love them. If they're not that, you've heard it said. But Jesus said, a new commandment I give you. I tell you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. You know what your enemies deserve? They deserve your love. You know what the people who persecute you deserve? They deserve you to pray for them. Some of you are like, I'll pray for them. I'll pray. I'll pray. <laughs> I got a prayer for them right now. That's not what it's talking about. It's saying praying for them. People who hate you and persecute you, love them and pray for them. It's what we've been called to do. And when we do, when we make the difference, when we respond, there's always a cost. Watch this. When we do it, he put the man on his own donkey. He brought him to an inn and he took care of him. Inconvenience his own time, his own journey, wherever it was he was headed. All the stuff that he needed to do says he helped him. And too many times we see the need. But we're not willing to pay the cost because there's always a price and it is different every single time. If we pray, God, use me, but don't inconvenience me. God, use me, but don't actually ask anything of me. Make it easy, Lord. Make it easy to serve. Make it easy to love. Because sometimes it will cost you something. It will cost you finances. Sometimes it'll cost you relationships. Sometimes it'll cost you, you know, even like your feelings about the matter. Sometimes it'll cost you your pride. Come on, somebody. Sometimes it'll reach right in there and grab that little pride demon that sits on your heart. It will cost you something to love your enemies, to pray for those who persecute you. There's always a cost involved. Like I remember about about 10 years ago now at the church, we had an outreach to the homeless uh, down in downtown Baton Rouge for like three years. We did this uh, Tuesday kind of breakfast and food and kind of Bible study outreach down there. And so every Tuesday we would roll up and kind of load everything and we would take outreaches and gifts from the church down there. So clothes and bags and different things that we would take with us to minister and to bless them. And so usually clothes was the number one thing we could take. And so we'd take mounds of clothes. And I remember there was one guy who would kind of hang around the outside of the circle when we would have the Bible study. He never said anything, but he would come every Tuesday for two years. He would show up. And he would come to that and he would look through all of the clothes. And I remember we never had anything that would fit him. Like nothing that he liked, nothing that would actually fit. And so he would just kind of leave. But he came every week and he wouldn't say anything. He would eat the food we brought. He would look through the clothes and he would just kind of leave. Didn't want to engage in conversation. And I remember it was uh, December or January of that year. And it had gotten really cold in Baton Rouge. And so we did an outreach here at the church. We just took up jackets and coats that people would bring. And we took them all down there with us. And that Tuesday, for whatever reason, the guy was late in arriving to the meeting. And so all of the coats were gone. And so he arrived and we kind of did the meeting and he realized that others were wearing these coats that had gone and he didn't get one. And so at the end of it all, he just was kind of leaving. And so I was trying to talk to him. I was trying to witness and say something to him and try to just kind of, kind of share the, the gospel with him. And I'm, I'm sitting there talking and you can tell, you ever been in a conversation, you know, they want to leave. Like the coats are gone. Like the food is gone. Like he does not want to talk to me in this moment. And I'm just trying to break through. And I felt in my heart, I felt God saying, you can give him your coat. And my first response was, oh, Lord, please, no. 
Like, not this one, Lord, not like this. Because honestly, I told you, confession's good for the soul, terrible for the reputation. And I'm not getting any treasures in heaven for this story, all right? I have, I have, I, about all I get to do is use this as an example, all right? I am, I am okay with that. Because if I'm just going to be completely honest and transparent with you guys, that day, that particular day, I was wearing coat number one. Because I have a problem with coats. I don't know if you guys know. I, I just have a problem. They're too, they ride up. They're too long. They're too hot. They're too cold. But that particular coat I loved. But in my life, in the way that I, we did ministry and the stuff we did back then, I had an alternative coat. That's the best way I know how to put it. I had coat number two that I would wear to outreaches just in case God called me to give my coat away to somebody. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I had this nasty old Adidas coat. Zipper was half broken all the way up. And I would wear it every Tuesday in case the Lord wanted me to be magnanimous and bless these people. And for whatever reason, two years of Tuesday Christmas, I wore the coat number two. But that day, for whatever reason it was, I still don't remember why I had coat number one on. The coat I loved. And I was like, Lord, what do you want? You want me to sing louder at church? You want me to like give more? You want anything but this, Lord? Like this is, I found one that I liked. And the Lord was like, no, I want you to give him your coat. And I told you, I don't get any rewards for this. This is not, I was about as reluctant as you could possibly. This was not an act of love. It was compulsion. Come on, somebody. It was just, but I took off my coat and I gave it to him. And this guy who for two years had not said probably more than three words to any of us out there, started to cry. And he started, for an hour he talked to me about what God had done in his life and how he had pushed God away and how he had run and all the things that had been done to him and how he was hurt and where he was. And I had a chance to pray with this guy that I never would have had. Listen to me, everybody. I got enough money to buy enough coats, all right? You don't have to buy me a coat this way. I can buy as many coats I had the opportunity to love somebody. How many people have I run past How many people have I not loved because I didn't want to pay the cost? I didn't want to give 10 minutes to talk to them. I didn't want to give up coat number one. I didn't want to give the thing that God was calling. Something that's so easy in hindsight. That coat would have flooded six years ago. I wouldn't have that coat today. But I had an opportunity. God said, you had a choice. And he had a divine intervention for that moment to talk to that guy. And the reason, the only reason I got to love him the way Jesus would love him is because I paid the cost. And I think too many times we are willing to run past people because we don't want to give up the time. We don't want to be inconvenienced. It will always cost you something. God will move you, but there will be a sacrifice. There will be something to give time or talents or giftings, whatever it is. But we are called to love them. We're called to love people. We got to be ready to be responsive when we see them. We got to be ready to be responsive to the people around us, to truly love them. To love our neighbor as ourselves, because that is the life that Jesus has called us to live. Every head bowed, every eye closed today as we close in prayer. Father, I just want to pray that you would put a love for people in our hearts. God, truly give us a love for people. That as we serve, as we outreach, as we we rescue, as we do all of these things, that underneath it all, we would be driven by a love that you have for them. And God, we know there are broken people all throughout our lives this week. And so, Lord, open our eyes to see them. Show us the person, even as we leave today, show us the person who is broken and hurting. Show us the person who needs the love of Christ in their lives. Show us the person that we can reach. 
Take the scales off our eyes. Let us see them. Let us be perceptive, God, and then respond to it with the love that you have. Every head bowed, every eye closed. There's some of you here today and you are in no position to even begin to love somebody else. Because to be honest with you, you're the person in the story on the side of the road. You've been broken or abused or taken advantage of and left. And now you're bleeding and you're hurting. And maybe it was religion that put you there. Maybe it was the actions of somebody who called themselves a Christian or maybe even a church or someone that took advantage of you and all you found is now that you are broken and left for dead. And you find yourself this morning far from God. First thing I want you to know is that was not God that treated you like that. That's not the perspective God has of you. That was people. And if I could tell you one thing this morning, it's that God loves you more than you could possibly imagine and that God still wants you. No matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, no matter where you find yourself, God still loves you and he still wants you. And the message of the cross is not that Jesus came for perfect people. The message of the cross is Jesus came to die for us while we were still sinners. That the Bible says Jesus came not to condemn the world, but that the world through him could be saved. And so if you find yourself far from God, whatever reason it was that drove you there, I want you to know right now you can turn back to him. That he still waits for you. He still loves you. He still wants you. And so I want to give you an invitation. Don't leave today without making this right, without settling it. Because you have a chance to follow Jesus. It's not about me. This is not about a church. This is not about any back room to take you, to tell you the tense. This is about you and your Savior right now making a decision to follow him. Making a decision to accept his sacrifice on the cross. It covers a multitude of sins. That Jesus died for you. So right now you have an opportunity. Every head is bowed, but it's our joy as a church. We've committed to pray this prayer with anybody who wants to pray it. And to walk this path with anybody who wants to walk it, to follow Jesus with all that we are. And so that's you right now. If you'd like to pray that prayer, if you'd like to make a commitment to follow him, it'd be my honor to pray it with you. I'm not going to make you raise your I'm not looking to embarrass you. just want to connect you with Jesus. So right now, church, let's pray it with them. If that's you, you could say these words, but you have to mean it with your heart. You have to make the commitment. You have to make the sacrifice. You have to count the cost. But right now, let's pray this. Say, Jesus, forgive me of all of my sins, of all my mistakes. I repent. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again. And I make you the Lord of my life. Now, Father, I thank you for every person here, God. I pray, Lord, you would use each one of us to be a light to this world, to love those that you have brought across our path. That you would use us, Lord, to make a difference. God, we pray you would help us to lift Jesus high in every opportunity, to show the love of Christ to the people around us, to love people genuinely, to love them. Give us eyes to see this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's church said amen and amen. Come on, church. Can we give God praise for what he's done today?